0: Please turn in your Old Testaments to Genesis 1, 20 through 31. Genesis 1, 20 through 31. It's not hard to get there. Just open your Bible, and it's the first thing you see. Genesis 1. We've been looking at what we're calling simple graces, those, those things in life that, that God just gives us as gifts that make life so wonderful and and beautiful and enjoyable, that in Christ we're able to just receive these wonderful dimensions of life. And one of the simple graces that we, we get from God is the beauty of creation. And to see that beauty and to grasp it and understand it, and to really enjoy God through the beauty of creation. I want to give you a sentence that uh, if you've got a pen, you can write it down this is a very easy sentence to memorize and and as we get further along in this message I think you'll you'll grasp it. And it's simply this that a garden helps set things right. Let me say it again, a garden helps set things right. Now before we get to this garden that I'm referring to, I would like to to look at the widest possible angle on the creation. Let's just zoom out to, to the universe. In the beginning, God created the heavens. We read in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Now, I've been trying to get a sense of this. I want you to know I've, I've really looked at some beautiful pictures of creation, some motion pictures of creation, and, uh, and I saw one of those short little videos about just the the mammoth size and and expanse of the universe where it starts with some of y'all probably seen this it starts with just a you know an artist rendering of the moon and then right next to the moon and we're going to do right next to right next to is the earth and the earth is so much bigger than the moon you just can't believe it right next to the moon and then right next to the earth is the planet uranus which is huge compared to the earth and then the camera moves on to the next one and you it's there's not even enough room to be able to to hold this this is the planet saturn it's so much greater and then you get to the next celestial body and it's so big saturn is small compared to it can anybody tell me what that one is biggest one in the solar system jupiter that's right and then there's this huge heavenly body next to Jupiter, right next to it, called the Sun. And it just absolutely dwarfs Jupiter. And then there's this enormous body and there's no way to get it all in in the scope of the picture. So you have they have to get go back so you can see it. And it's some star that I have no clue what the name is. But right next to it is another one and another one and another one. And each star that is named is so substantially larger than the one before that you can't believe it. And every once in a while, it kind of gives you a sense of all the way down from where you started. And the sun is like a little peak compared to this incredible star. You finally get to the largest known star. It's outrageously huge. I mean, I can't tell you. God, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth. And do you know that He, in our solar system, He put the earth in in an exact location, in an exact orbit around the sun. If you knew the mathematically worked out distance of if we were that much closer to the sun, we would fry, and if we were that much further away from the sun in that orbit, we would all freeze to death. It is... Precisely, exactly where it needs to be for human life. And and then there's the moon that rotates around the earth, and there's everything about the tides, and there's you know, this this is so designed and so beautiful and so exact that we set our watches by it, don't we? That's what time is. It's the, the year, you know, it's that that is exactly what time is. Our solar system is in a something called a galaxy. Does anybody know what our galaxy is? The Milky Way. Thank you. I can tell we've been to junior high. This is great. The Milky Way they guess, because you gotta guess when when it gets this large, they guess that there are 400 billion stars in the Milky Way. That's enormous and The Milky Way is just one of, they guess, one of, I don't know how they know, the quote, known universe, means we had not even gotten to the edges yet, Uh, one of 200 billion galaxies. Isaiah 40, 26, Lift up your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host's? one by one and calls each by name because of His great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. Have you ever seen images from the Hubble telescope? If you haven't done that, I'm going to suggest that you go and look at some. The, the Hubble telescope has its own website and its own gallery of pictures. You're not going to believe the nebula and you're not going to believe the galaxies and the planets. It is amazing the heavens are screaming the glory of God and what a God we have when we begin to think about his creation but I want to get us down from that wide angle down to this garden that uh, we were talking about at first that a garden sets us right a garden God's creation makes a lot of difference in our lives In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof the world and all who live in it are His. Psalm 24, 1. In preparation for this sermon, I also looked at a few of those pictures of the earth from space. Have you all ever seen those? Okay. It's beautiful, isn't it? And it's blue, and it's green, and... And brown and it's white, you know, with the clouds and the ozonosphere. The and you know something? You look at that picture of the earth from outer space, and I'm gonna tell you what the Bible says about that that celestial body in exact right place to sustain human life, that God put that planet there for us. God made that to be a garden, a creation that we could live in with him. We read the first chapter of Genesis in the creating of the heavens and the earth. You know what you see in the first chapter of Genesis? Yes, you see the power of God in creation. You see the incredible artistry of God. That there is great pain that God takes in his creative ability. In fact, you know, God, if he wanted to, could have just said, and just in one act, everything would have would have been created, just breathed out the whole thing at once, right? But what we see in Genesis 1, what we see is just one act of creation after another. We see God, the artist, and how He is just taking one thing and just bringing focus and bringing that creativity and that artistry and that beauty. And it's punctuated at every point with this wonderful statement that God says, it is good. It's beautiful. It's right. It is very beautiful good, this creation. We live in a personal universe. Not an impersonal one. We live in a personal universe created by a divine person who is an artist, who is still actively involved in His creation and things, of course, are still being born and rocks are moving and there's a a, a symphony of ongoing powerful and beautiful creation being directed by His mighty power. C.S. Lewis in his wonderful book that my kids love, a lot of kids love, The Lion and the Witch and the Wardrobe, of course takes us to that that make-believe land of Narnia where it is winter all the time. In fact, if you've read it, you know it's not only winter, it's always winter but never Christmas. It's a bad place to live because of the white witch and the dominion of evil. But the hero of that book, Aslan, who is the, the, the figure of Jesus Christ, as, as he moves onto the scene, it just begins to melt everywhere he goes. And there's grass and there's trees and there's spontaneous creation and beauty. And you get the sense that as, as this ice melts and, and, and there's so much being created just by the power of his presence that he thoroughly enjoys what is going on in His creation is responding to Him as well. And here in Genesis 1, God is choosing what is best and, and He is making it and the finished work is astounding. I'd like to read, I want to break into two-thirds into the, 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 the creation story just to give us a sense of the artistry and the beauty and wonder of creation. Genesis 1.20 But first I will start by repeating that first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And verse 20 says, And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing Within which the water teems with according to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas. And let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said... Let the land produce creatures according to their kind, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, wild animals, each according to their kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures moving along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make man in our image. We claim that as a Trinitarian passage. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And let them, men, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it. That is, make it work for you. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, every creature that moves on the ground. And God says, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit and seed in it, and they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move along the ground everything that has breath of life in it i give green plants for food and it was so god saw that all he had made and it was only time you see this very good and it was evening and morning the sixth day and then god rested from his work of creation on the seventh day You see, we were placed originally in a beautiful garden with everything necessary for life and happiness and relationship, all in relationship with God and trees and sky and air and clean water and food and everything needed. I'm going to tell you something. Even since the fall of man, even since the rebellion where our original parents, saw all that God gave and refused to trust Him, wanted the knowledge of both good and evil, wanted to be the final judge and arbiter of their own lives and selfishly rebelled from God to be their own God instead of God, even since the rebellion, even though they were cursed, even though we are cursed and need a Savior because of it, even though the earth is cursed and produces Food only by thorns and thistles and and sweat and toil. I'm going to tell you something. We are still created for a garden. We still need a garden. There's still something about God's creation and the beauty of it that a garden sets us right. God's creation is so large and yet it is so intricate So efficient. Like I said, you can set your watches by it. Isn't it true, brothers and sisters, isn't it true that the laws of nature that others call the laws of science are none other than the predictability of an ordered creation? And isn't it true that science is based on the reliability of Creation, the ability to measure it, the ability to theorize and predict it and to harness it for good for mankind. That's exactly what science is about. Laws of science are laws because of the glory and wonder and design and intelligence and wisdom of God in creation. So man is able to harness nature just like it says... In Genesis 1, subdue the earth, make the earth work for us. And by the way, that's also why we should take care of the earth as vice regents together under God. This earth was placed under the stewardship of people, of man. I don't have a card, a Sierra Club card, but I'm going to tell you, we need to be serious about what God has said about the earth and the caring of it as we subdue it to keep the garden. A garden helps set us right. It fills our eyes with beauty. It fills our ears with a symphony of sound that it cannot be reproduced anywhere else And when we experience the Garden again, so to speak, not the Garden of Eden, but just creation, when we experience it directly again, we remember not only how great God is and powerful and wise, we remember how loving God is to all He has made and the provision to all that He has made and to us through this creation. I remember hearing a song many years ago, and I've been singing it in my head. You ever have songs that for years you kind of just, you know, you're out mowing the grass or taking a walk, and this song will appear. And this is one of those few songs that actually comes back into my head. It's a song by Bob Bennett, that that dates me, uh, called Mountain Cathedrals. And Bob Bennett talks about mountains and trees and air and how it all just, Causes Him to worship, you see. He says, I've sung in mountain cathedrals with steeples rising high. He's talking about mountain pigs. And altars made of evergreen and windows made of sky. I've dreamed of stars in the heaven and starfish in the sea. And I've wondered how the heart of that God could care so much for me. I've sung in mountain cathedrals with steeples rising high and altars made of evergreen and windows made of sky and windows made of sky. I think about my own life. I have personally seen the snow-capped mountains of the Rockies. I want to say Rocky Mountain Majesty or sing it or something. I have personally tasted the sweet bubbling springs in the tops of the Smoky Mountains not the dry, but the wet leaves and the coolness of that beauty. I have seen the fjords of Alaska. I have felt the cool air, seen the green water jutting up next to amazingly high cliffs surrounded by huge mountains. I've seen the Grand Canyon. I've seen it from the air. I've driven through the badlands of scorched earth and building-like structures of rock in shimmering, beautiful red, I have stood on the banks of Lake Superior and I have marveled at how clear, perfectly clear it is and the vastness of it and the unimaginable depths of that lake. I've seen Atlantic waves Pound the rocks in Maine. Shoot spray into the air 15 and 20 feet in the the shimmering, showering sound of that water after the wave recedes that hits the rock. I have stood on a beach and I have seen the vastness of sea from Gulf Shores, Alabama. And I'm going to tell you, I've been to lots of beaches and that's the prettiest one I've ever been to. But just to see that expanse Well, that's all the postcards of my whole life right there. But I'm going to tell you something. What we're talking about now, you do not have to get on an airplane to experience. In fact, don't, don't, don't get on an airplane because right where you are is amazing. Because it too is God's creation. I don't know if you've noticed this. Mississippi is absolutely gorgeous. And natural. You know, I lived out west. You can see Pikes Peak sitting on my deck every day. That's pretty cool, right? Primary color. My mother was an artist, so I'm into colors. Primary color out west, azure blue. Big sky. You can stand on top of a hill in my neighborhood and see 75 miles azure blue and rock. The grass was kind of brown. It really wasn't green. Primary color in Jackson, Mississippi area, what is it? It's green. That's color you don't really see a whole lot out there where I was. The grass is so beautifully green and the trees and towering pine trees and oak trees that reach their branches out and provide shade and other trees that almost look like they're praising God, all hugging you. All a gift from God and and a milky white sky outlining the, the beautiful green trees. And I tell you, I've lived in several places. I have never... Never lived in a place with more chirping birds, calling birds. I think there are more birds in Mississippi per square foot than any place I have ever lived. And then that outrageously wonderful racket. And I found out, I I had to ask in the first service what these things were. I called them katydids. They're, uh, what are they? it? Cicadas. Cicadas. And it's this, this kind of cricket, kind of, it's almost like an ocean sound of crickets. And it kind of comes and it's almost like an ocean and swells and goes down and swells again. And it is this just, just beautiful, intriguing racket. Now, I did something for you people yesterday. I decided to take a field trip right here in Mississippi just so I could report to you what I saw, just so you would be convinced that I'm not just making things up. So at 11 o'clock, I decided to take a one-hour walk. Yes, I had my water with me. On the Natchez Trace Parkway, kind of over there behind Dinsmore, that area. And uh, this was 11 o'clock, and it was 84 degrees, and there was actually a breeze. I could feel the wind. Of course, it was going to rain later. I didn't realize that. The sun was kind of in and out, and sure enough, I started walking down that path. You know, the first thing I noticed, because I was had my eyes open, because I wanted to make sure I, I could tell you what I really saw, I saw these trees. It was a canopy. The trees actually met, and there was just light and shadows that filtered on that sidewalk. I saw trees lying dead, and I saw horizontal things, and vertical things, and angular things, and all of it was beautiful to my eyes. You know what I saw at eight, at 11.23? I had my cell phone. Here's the reason I know exactly because I had my cell phone. I was walking along and I saw three beautiful deer. Now, they kind of saw me and they, they ran, but they didn't run far off. And so I, I kind of went to the edge of the Natchez Trace, if you don't mind. And I sat down. It was 11.23. So I had my phone out. And I wanted to see. It was, it was a contest and who would flinch first. They didn't move. And I didn't move. I won the contest. At eleven twenty-five they started eating again. I should have taken a picture and put it on screen to show you, and then of course till some guy on a bicycle rode by and said, You're looking at deer, aren't you? That's cool. Of course they ran away at that point. (laughs) Yeah, I was. I sure was. But it was all so beautiful. And it impacted me and my senses and sight and sounds and smell and under my feet. I want you to know I reached down and I I, I squatted down and I looked at small plants and insects and small... There were entire ecosystems in miniature under my feet as well as things as large as deer. I thought about bringing some leaves in here today. I thought about bringing some leaves and some magnifying glasses and kind of passing them out here and... Let y'all look at, at how variegated and beautiful and, and the different leaves are. I thought about bringing a magnolia blossom in here and let you pass it around and smell it, but somebody had to get a migraine from the natural perfume of it and sue the church or something, so I decided not to bring it. It was wonderful. A garden helps set us right. There's something about the glory of creation that is a simple gift. And all the concrete and steel and plastic in the world cannot erase the need to encounter the beauty of the Lord in His handiwork in creation. I want to end by quickly giving you three reasons why the beauty of creation of creation is a simple grace to us. And I want to make the case for you to open your eyes, open your ears. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. Creation is screaming glory. Do you hear it? It is displaying His handiwork. Do you see it? You need to because it's one of the simple graces that God wants you to have. First reason is the garden creation I 'm calling it the garden, reminds us of the glory and power of God. Everywhere you look, what it is, it 's kind of an arrow pointing back to God. don't you know, look at me, but really, I didn 't create myself. Look at him. If you think I 'm great, imagine how great the one is who created me. You know the, the glory of creation is only a reflected glory of the glory of God. it 's all an arrow. Pointing back to God. Secondly, I mean, the whole, everything that God has made is a visual aid to the glory of God. Secondly, the garden reminds us not only of God's power and wisdom in His creation, but it reminds us of His care and provision and love. You see, when you're Encountering God's creation, it gives you, if your eyes are open to it and your ear, it gives you perspective. Like Psalm 8, you know, who is man? You know, what compared to you? You are before God's creation, and you begin to have this sense. God is so big. And the corresponding one, which you need to have, I am so small. I cannot believe. That that God that created all things has actually taken my sin and given me a relationship. I cannot believe that in my selfishness and rebellion and in His holiness and my inability that God would actually come with initiatory love with the express purpose of gathering me into His arms to live in this planet and not in a new Eden but newly reconnected again with God just as they were in the garden with meaning and purpose and the ability, therefore, to see it and to really see it. One of the greatest uses in Scripture to bring uh, uh, assurance was the use of the doctrine of creation. Meaning, when people get in trouble, particularly in the Psalms, this is big, you know, people's lives are being threatened, they're in trouble, all this, instead of saying... You know What they would say is, God, I know You can handle this because You created the mountains. You created the seas and the stars and founded this and that. And if You are that big and that powerful, I know that You can run my little life. And I know that You can take care of me and You can lead me. That's exactly the meaning of Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, listen to this, the Maker of heaven and earth. How am I going to get my encouragement? I'm going to look to the hills and I'm going to remember that beyond the hills, above the hills, is the One who made the hills. My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. Isn't that wonderful? That God is not only powerful, but He's loving. And we see that through His creation. And if you belong to him through Jesus, you know it in your bones and you see it afresh and it encourages you, a garden sets us right. But I want to tell you something. Everybody is not so assured. And everybody's not so inspired in that way. I think about the beauty of creation. I think about the reliability, the order, the design, the efficiency, the processes of God's created order, the orbits, the tides, as I mentioned, the laws of nature. And you know, I have friends. I have friends, and they see the processes too. They see the processes and the laws of science. And they are so proud of man's ability to measure nature to predict it, to theorize, to understand it, to harness it. That evidently we have come to a place where we know so much about nature that we can actually say out loud evidently with no questions. There is no God. Well, they see the processes. They see the design. They see this, but they do not see the God standing behind them. They have left the meaning part on the table. They who say everything is the, the, the result of an accident, who measure everything by reliability, and have leave, left the meaning part squarely on the table, not only missing the saving grace of Jesus Christ, but the simple grace of the wonder of God in creation. I was recently in a hotel in Denver with my youngest daughter. Somebody let us use their condo out there. We decided to go out and do a little hike in, a little bike in. I even ice skated, if you can imagine. Um, I didn't wear anything like you wear in the Olympics ice skating, but uh, I was ice skating. And, uh, and it was great. But I was in this lobby of this hotel room in Denver, and there was a, an accident on I 25, I 25 getting there. and. It's about eleven thirty by the time we got there, and so we got our hotel room. And you know, whether it's with my daughter or our wife and daughters, um, kind of the mo is this: we get them all squared away. I go find something to do while they all, you know, do what they need to do. So I went downstairs to find something to do, and I started talking to this really great young man. It's eleven thirty. I mean, it was me and him, you know, and. Um, I said, well, tell me about you. He said, well, I just graduated from the University of Colorado at Boulder. Great. I used to live here. I know a lot about that. Had lots of young friends who went to that school. What well, would you graduate? He said, well, I graduated in philosophy, and I'm looking for a job like all philosophy majors end up doing. I mean, that's just the way it is. And, uh, and I said, oh, you're a philosophy major. I love philosophy. Now, tell me who the three, the greatest, or the two or three greatest philosophers are in your estimation from your training or if you'd like to answer this question or you can answer both because i'm just sitting here i got some time um... tell me <laughs> which philosopher meant the most to you he said oh no question i know the most important one i know the one that meant the most to me it's plato now that's not a bad answer folks if, if, if you're getting right down to you know the philosophy But I I said, well, you know, we talk about Plato because Plato separated the real world from the spiritual world and and we were talking a little Plato and I was saying what I liked and what I didn't like and I said, now look, i got to warn you before we go any further in this conversation. I am not only a theist, meaning I believe in God, but I am also a Christian, meaning that I believe that God actually, through initiatory love, has come to give me what I can't have as a sinner with a holy God. And I think Christianity actually explains and describes the universe better than any system that I've studied, including the fact that man's not basically good. He said immediately, I agree with you, man's not good. I can't understand why in my philosophy classes people say man's not good. I thought, this is good. And we talked. And you know, it was just a great conversation. I hope you can have conversations without just being ugly and obnoxious. Talking a little bit, listening a little bit. You know, the days for all that that pushy stuff are over, hopefully. They're over at Highlands. Don't let me catch you doing that. But uh, I talked to him about the cross. You know, I said, do you mind if I just share with you what I believe? Because after I'd listened to a whole lot of philosophy, sure, sure. So we talked a little bit about it. I said, you know, when I walk outside, do you know what I see? I see beauty, order, and purpose everywhere. And I know that my own life is a part of a larger purpose and because I have a relationship with God through Christ, I know that there is a plan for my life and I know that it is love and that I can trust God. You know, what he he looked at me in the eyes in the most sincere, wonderful way. He said, I would give anything to be able to believe that there was purpose in this world. And purpose for my life. I said, oh, you can You can. So we talked a little bit more. I wish I could tell you that it ended other than I have no clue what what my young friend right now is doing with the gospel of Jesus. But blessed are those who have eyes to see. You see, the garden reminds us of God's glory and His power and assures us of His care and His love. But thirdly, the garden awakens us to beauty that no one can really imitate. Have you ever noticed that nobody can paint it just like it is in reality? Have you noticed that even photographs cannot take the scope of what you actually see in reality? Nobody can get that green quite right if they've gotten the blue right. They can't get the browns right. You know why? Because it is so beautiful. It is so artistic. It is is absolutely inspiring. See, God not only assures us of power and love, He inspires us. Next week, we're going to look at the importance of art and what people made in God's image do and why that's important. So if you want to learn about the arts and Christianity, you'll come back for a simple grace next week. Here's the bottom line. Life's just more drab without seeing God's artistry. If everything's just described by brute factors, it's just not quite the same as the drama of divine artistry and continued personality in creation. The human mind and soul and heart have always needed to be fed by the glory of God in creation. By God's handiwork the human heart and mind and imagination is always needed to be inspired. And it is a part of the wonder of life and the enjoyment of both God and fully enjoying this life in God. It is a simple grace to us. As Brad quoted in his prayer earlier from Jonathan Edwards, that as believers, we do not find God to be useful. We find Him to be beautiful. And therefore, we worship Him. And through the lens of the heavens declaring the glory of God, the earth and the fullness thereof, and through the lens of the sacrificial death on the cross of Jesus to bring us into the arms of that one who provides to give us that hope and a future and then to open our eyes to see the reality of the glory of God in creation we worship bottom line we need a garden so that we can see it in fact, you realize the garden creation is so inspiring that some people worship it. We see it and worship God. And so I end with the words of the psalmist in Psalm 150. Some of the last words of the book of Psalms, let everything, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, help us to see it. We spend our lives in busyness. We spend our lives looking inward. And even when we look outward, we don't see. Lord, would you help someone see that you came to this earth to connect with us personally, through the cross and the empty tomb, to do what we could never do for ourselves as sinners before a holy God. If you've never put your trust in Jesus and you'd like to, just say, Lord, I I can't come to you alone. I, I can't philosophize my way. I can't be good enough. I want to receive what you've done for me on the cross. I want a relationship with you. I want you to open my eyes not only to your love eternally, An intimacy now. But to the beauty. Of who you are. And all that you have made. Lord would you remind us that we're still fit for a garden. Would you open our eyes as your children. To the simple grace. Of beauty. Through creation we pray in Jesus name. Amen.